they estimate that GPT software is able to save workers a significant amount of time completing a large share of their tasks. They were talking about localizing your game as being one of the more powerful opportunities to maximize your game's reach. Hi, Florian with SlaterPod here. High time we did a new show. How are you, Esther? Very well, thanks. Yeah, it's been a while. Busy, busy last week. SlaterCon remote, you know, 400 people. Uh, great machine dubbing demo by AppTech. I really enjoyed that. Um, and inspiring keynote by Veronique from Argos. And then, of course, a ton of uh, good GPT discussion in the Intento panel. Uh, what's my point is that we were super busy the last couple of weeks. So had to uh, pause the news pod. But uh, yeah, here we are back. And hey, great week today as well. Big week for us. This week, we're going to send out our first Slater Toolbox email newsletter. Uh, you know, we uh, acquired the Toolbox journal from uh, Joost Setche. A uh, truly inspiring industry veteran that has been uh, writing this for um, the, the newsletter to for about 15 uh, years now. And uh, and so we uh, we took it over and we're going to send out the first edition under under our brand in uh, in, a, in a few hours, I think. Uh, so it's coming out this week, nearly 10,000 subscribers. So in total now with our own newsletter, we have about 25,000 uh, newsletter subscribers. So very exciting. And on the agenda today, we got GPT-4. Let's call it GPT-4 for now. Uh, it's kind of what everyone's talking about, large language models slash GPT-4, but GPT-4 is the one that uh, uh, that's kind of making most headlines. And uh, we, you know, let's have a big discussion about that. Uh, you brief us on Akulad and their new CEO, then Google uh, made a splash with some MT announcement for games, and then Disney is suspecting uh, somebody in the translation workflow to have leaked a script of a movie and they're chasing them. So, um, OpenAI has launched a, a launched, sorry, not everything's a launch. They just published, right? They wrote published a study, a, published a study, a research. I think they had a few op uh, other people from universities uh, contributing to this. Uh, looking at who's most exposed, what kind of jobs are most exposed to large language models. And they checked about a thousand occupations, which is crazy, a thousand. So that's quite ambitious. Uh, they actually used human annotators and GPT-4 itself. <laughs> so they used their own, uh, they kind of, what do you call it? Like uh, eat their, they ate their own dog, dog food. food. <laughs> yeah, the dog food metaphor there. So to, uh, you know, uh, to apply to uh, all the jobs categories coming from the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics. And then they, uh, they published a paper called An Early Look at the Labor Market Impact Potential of Large Language Models. All right. That seems very ambitious of a task. So they looked at uh, to find out whether GPT or GPT-powered systems um, uh, could they looked at the uh, uh, jobs that where GPT or GPT-powered systems could reduce uh, the workload by at least 50%, uh, the time required for a human to complete a work-related task. Uh, and they found that about 19% of all U.S. workers might see at least that kind of meet that threshold of 50% of their task being impacted by GPT. So, you know, a fifth of all U.S. workers would see 50% of their tasks impacted by LLMs, is what they're saying. Uh, 
they said that, so which one was, hang on, which one was the most likely impacted by LLMs and which one was the, um, yeah, most and least? So up on the most likely impacted side was programming and language skills. No surprise. Which obviously is, is relevant for us. Um, and then on the less likely impacted were occupations that require science skills and also critical thinking skills. It's a lot to unpack here. Does that mean that if your job requires language skills, you it doesn't require critical thinking skills? Well, that was going to be my point. Yeah, arguably, you know, translation, etc., requires quite a lot of critical thinking skills. Sure. So, I mean, in a sense that they just, yeah, they looked at a thousand jobs and the framing. I'm sure if you actually kind of unpacked it and went into the full detail of the paper, it's it's more nuanced. But if you try to get the highlights, which you have to do in a podcast, it kind of kind of boils it down into something that's a bit more simplistic. And then you have things like, you know, language skills more impacted than critical thinking skills. To me, in, in a sense, it's almost one is a part of the other. Anyway, so uh, the big news, of course, is that translators and interpreters scored among the top exposed categories. Okay, top exposed. But, 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 but. There's so many buts coming. Uh, practically speaking, uh, the author said that the results do not necessarily mean that, uh, for example, translation interpreting tasks can be fully automated. Rather, the profession is simply among those that we they, they estimate that GPT um, software is able to save workers a significant amount of time completing a large share of their tasks. Well, that's no, that's no surprise. I mean, that was the same before. I mean, you know, the LSPs and everybody has been using MT forever. I mean, I suppose they compared it to an all-human workflow, whereas really the translation job task as is, is already automated to, to a large extent, as we know. Yeah, but that's almost like saying... So now it's like, well, we're going to replace whatever automation you're using with chat GPT. Or are they examining the current state of translation as is automated and machine translation based, etc.? I don't know. I mean, they specifically said it's um, it's going to get automated by large language models, right? And you could say, well, I mean, a, a narrower machine translation model is a narrow language model, not a large language model. It's a small language model, right? But it does the job. Uh, and I think, uh, you know, we're going to look at this later in this podcast. I think while these LLM systems are competitive for machine translation, they're not outperforming typically, right? So the narrow ones still are there and they have been deployed in the translation workflow now for years. And, you know, we have the expert in the loop model. So I, I guess I don't see, um, I don't see really the news here, like, especially for kind of the traditional translation workflow, you could always argue, though, it's going to be like a paradigm change and everything's going to be completely different in the future. Could be right. And we've had all these discussions about potentially translating Instead of translating, uh, you you actually create a multilingual uh, you know content just from scratch, uh, etc. We had a, a long discussion about that on on Slidicon Remote. But yeah, uh, go ahead and read the paper if you really want to dive into. We had a, a quite a good summary on on Slidicon. So, but interestingly, uh, translators and interpreters did actually not correct the top five vulnerable professions. Uh, the model <laughs> instead named mathematicians and text preparers as the most successful, as susceptible to GPT's influence. 
how many mathematicians are there as well? I mean, is that like, <laughs> are there a lot of mathematicians generally employed as mathematicians? That's right. And then like you still need somebody to, well, okay, I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to go and try to defend why mathematicians are less prone or less vulnerable to GPT models than uh, than OpenAI tends to think. Now, all right, we uh, Ramsri, who's, uh, you know, we had on a pod and is actually now from time to time writing for us, he looked at some surprising new use cases of GPT-4, specifically GPT-4, which is, you know, OpenAI's large language model that came out. I signed up for the pro version. It's better than GPT-3.5, but it's not like I use it every day. But what did Ramsri say about what were some of the interesting new use cases for, for language? Yeah, he identified a couple, but I think the two that are probably most relevant would be translation with visual context um, and and also image-relevant transcription. So what does that mean? Translation with visual context basically means that GPT-4 can take into account the visual context surrounding a source text. So for example, um, if you've got... Um, you know, parts of the sentence, parts of the phrase that are really dependent on the visual elements around it, um, that can that can help. Um, and then secondly, image relevant transcription. So I suppose, um, you know, if you've got a video presentation and also audio, um, if we're talking about transcription here, the slides that you use in your presentation, they could be visually described and then pass through um, GPT-4 as an input prompt. So that would then help um, inform the transcription. Um, yeah, so I think there's a couple of use cases that would you know, be new and useful with uh, GPT-4. Multimodal is what they're talking about, right? So it's not, not just text input, it's image input, and the image input would inform the text output that you're asking. So. Yeah, I, I see, for example, translation with visual context potentially for game localization or maybe even software localization where you have like, uh, you know, maybe you have screenshots. Like the strings or, and things like that. Yeah, you have, you, have, you have just a visual input that would say, well, you're in the game, you're in this particular environment and uh, that would potentially inform that. It's very kind of uh, uh, frontier. So let's see how this gets productized in the next couple of years. Now, there's a lot of discussion, a lot of discussion around quality, uh, just raw translation, uh, machine translation quality of these large language models, right? Because everyone, when it came out, like including us, right? We just, oh, can you translate? Like, you know, put in some, you know, German and see how the output is. Um, quite good. It's actually very good. Of course, it's very slow, right? It's not like it doesn't have the microsecond response time. And actually, uh, <clears throat> Uh, Martin from VMware pointed this out at Slatercon Remote that like you know it, it's good. It might the quality might be okay, but like I need this, I need huge volumes very quickly. And these large language models don't give me huge volumes quite quickly. I mean, if you punch it into GPT-4, it's probably I think the limit is about ten pages. Uh, I once tried to had it try to summarize like a fifteen-page thing, and it said, "Well, that's too much text." So there's limitations. Uh, but everybody's trying to figure out how good are these large language models at machine translation. And we just came across a super interesting research paper by a group of researchers from uh, University of Edinburgh, which is obviously one of the uh, most uh, famous one for, uh, for machine translation. And also University of Lisbon, uh, a couple of people from Unbobble were in this as well. 
And they looked at uh, hallucinations in large multilingual translation models. I don't know, how do you summarize hallucination? Well, it just goes off. Yeah, create something that's not there. Yeah, create something that's not there. I guess that's a good way to put it. So very hard to summarize this paper in, in a podcast, but let me give it kind of just a high level what they were trying to answer, right? So they were saying, okay, these LLMs have demonstrated remarkable ability to translate between numerous languages, which makes them very interesting for real world applications. But then, quote, however, when deployed in the wild, these models may generate hallucinated translations. And they say that has the potential to severely undermine user trust and raise safety concerns. Uh, also, um, usually they said that in the past, uh, in the past, literally in the past couple of months, probably weeks even, uh, the focus was mostly on like high resource languages. Uh, and so they took a much broader spectrum. They said about 100 translation directions. Uh, across various resource levels. You know, we have the high resource language, mid resource, low resource language, and they went beyond the English centric language pairs. So it seems to be a very broad um, uh, study they conducted. And uh, what they found was, and I'm sorry to the team if I'm butchering this, uh, again, we're trying to write an article about it that's more informed than this, but they said that there was the emergence of toxicity in hallucinations. So, like, Whatever, however you define toxicity, maybe like, you know, swear words or inappropriate terms, et cetera. Um, and then they also um, looked at that how fallback systems can mitigate hallucinations. So you're kind of building a another layer on top of the raw output of these models, which I guess would be the way we... Like a quality layer. Yeah, a quality layer. You know, I, I guess that's the way this is going to go anyway. You know, you have the base layer and then you, you know, build another layer on top of this. Uh, but they also said the hallucinations can be sticky and difficult to reverse. And uh, kindly, they open sourced their code and they released over a million translation and detection results across several languages and language pairs. So anybody uh, in academia or among one of these big tech companies can take the code, can take the translations and run their own experiments. Uh, yeah, so very interesting to see these early results of research there. Um, Hey, and then there was a post, Lil published a press release on Slater about, um, let me pull this up here. It's a lot of commentary on, a lot of comments on LinkedIn. Uh, they published a press release that uh, with the headline, Lilt introduces contextual AI engine for translation, outperforms GPT-4. So Q comments on LinkedIn, uh, a lot of people were pushing back. So for example, uh, Sheila Castillo from Dublin said, is there a link to the study? We don't know how the evaluation took place. I'd love to learn and replicate the results. That was actually the most uh, pushback here that's saying, hey, you're claiming you're outperforming GPT-4 or Google Translate. Can we see the data? Because as I just said with the, with the previous paper, uh, basically everything's open source. You can you can go in and replicate it. So if you go to the market and saying you're outperforming, you you know, and then people are well, this is a closed system. How do we know you really do? Uh, you know, it's it's big claims. Then let me see if there's any other interesting. Um, there's a lot. People should head over to that post. But one thing I found very interesting was from. Um, Sorry, I'm going off on a tangent, but I can't resist. <laughs> you can't stop yourself. Go for it. Yeah, so Angelo Pasalacqua from Zing Global, I think he's also with Berg, 
he just had this really interesting comment or funny comment. I wonder why knowledge of the entire internet is not adequate for MT. That's the question. You know the entire internet and you've been, you know, reinforcement learning by human feedback and all of this stuff. But we're still, there's still, it's still not, you know, whatever level human or whatever we want to want to call it, right? That's the, that's the really the $1 trillion question there from Angela. So, yeah, I mean, like if you look at the chart that Lil uh, published there, it's like Google um, number three, uh, ChatGPT number four, and then Lil coming top. And then some questions also like, well, well why didn't you uh, run this by, uh, why didn't you test on DeepL as well? So, yeah, some, some pushback there. Cool. All right. So now we let, let's close the GPT chapter and go to, uh, to other news. Other news. Yeah. I like, we spend like two thirds of our podcast talking about GPT-4 going forward. And uh, <laughs> now, now regular news has become other news. It's other news. Hey, it, it, you know, why not? In other news. Yeah. Okay. We'll go back to our other news, which is uh, well, a couple of points. So uh, we had the appointment of a new CEO at uh, Accolad, one of the super agencies. Um, so um, Bertrand Stalder, he joins or has joined as the chief executive officer um, in mid-March. He has 25 years of executive experience. He's been a CEO um, of, uh, for example, an online real estate platform in France this is a career first in that he's moving into language services, but he does have extensive experience in uh, digital services. Uh, we spoke to him and he said he sees his role as helping to create a sustainable, stable atmosphere that enables people to think of change as a positive thing. Uh, so this is sort of in the context of AI. Um, he said, AI is the next frontier, so let's work with it and be the best at it. Let's not oppose it. Uh, technology is a great exoskeleton for our people. Um, so, yeah, all the best to to him and his role. Imagine you join a company and then, like, boom, there's this major train coming, barreling down that, like, you know, you're you're not from the industry and then you're coming into the industry. Sure, you have all the executive experience, you know, you, ha you know how to run a large company, but then, like, there's all of these talks by these people that are industry insiders and have been for decades. And they're all, oh, this is all changing. Now we're th going through this major disruption. Like, oh, wow. Okay, tell me more. Yeah, it's a lot to get your head around, I, th I think. It's a lot to get your head around. Yeah. But maybe not even the worst. Maybe it almost helps if you can kind of absorb everything almost from scratch and you're not beholden by any kind of legacy thinking. So, yeah, good luck to, um, to Bertrand. Now, let's go to Google, and we had the headline that they encourage game developers to switch from human to machine translation. What's that about? Well, so this is sort of on the back of an announcement that Google made at their Google for Games Developer, Developer Summit in mid-March. So they announced that developers now have access to free machine translation for Android apps. Um, so the MT availability will start with seven languages, Chinese, French, German, Indonesian, Japanese, Brazilian, Portuguese, and Spanish. Um, it's available for early access only uh, via an application. Uh, so you've got to actually apply to, to, how, to be able to access this. Um, 
I mean, interestingly, at the summit, they were talking about, Google was talking about um, localizing your game. So this being a, a, a game uh, game development summit. They were talking about localizing your game as being one of the more powerful opportunities to maximize your game's reach, including with Mandarin and Spanish-speaking players, kind of highlighting the importance of, of localizing games there generally. Um, they also pointed out that the play consoles... Um, or actually already offers a translation service, but it takes several days to turn around. No kidding. Unless you have a great LSP, maybe several hours only. <laughs> Depending on who, uh, who your LSP is. But um, so moving to the MT in Play Console, uh, it uses Google Translate, maybe unsurprisingly. Um, and they said the best in class transformer based language models for quality. Um, I suppose the interesting thing here is is the kind of content that they're saying um, will be translated or can be translated using MT. So now, um, as you might expect, developers can upload strings from the app. They will select the target language. Uh, Google then applies the MT. Developers can download the results and use it in their app. Um, so it will automatically translate, I think, store listings and product descriptions um, but it can also translate in-app text using MT. Um, so I think this one, um, kind of an interesting example because maybe in-app text, um, things like UI content has typically been higher risk for MT, uh, probably because of what we were talking about, the kind of lack of visual context. Um, you've got these kind of short abstract uh, bits of text that actually you need to kind of know what the context around it is. Um, to to produce a good translation, so that's what they're they're doing over at Google for Games. It was a presentation by I think it was a product manager, uh, senior product manager. So yeah, it's just I do think you the, the headline is justified that they really encourage developers now to use MT, basically pointing out oh you know your traditional service we have that too, but it takes several days. So if you want to go to market faster, why don't you use machine translation? So it seems like a bigish deal. That you um, that they do this. Of course, in reality, things are moving slower, or you know, it, it it's more nuanced. But kind of on a PR level, this this was a fairly important announcement, I think. Now, what's going on with Ant Man? Do we have spoiler alerts? And uh, Ant Man and the West. How can this how can this series run for such a long? Ant Man seems like a an interesting one off, but then. Like it works and then they produce like sequel upon sequel. So what's going on with Ant-Man, Esther? Yeah. Um, well, no spoilers. But firstly, because I haven't actually seen it. Uh, this Ant-Man was Quantumania. <laughs> and I have not. But the story here that I think we're going to focus on is the fact that um, Disney's lawyers have actually filed a subpoena request. Wait, let me take a step back. Disney that owns Marvel, Marvel, the movie Ant-Man, which we were just talking about. So Disney filed a subpoena request in early March to force uh, Reddit to identify the person or people responsible for leaking the dialogue um, of the movie. There was a transcript in Portuguese that was leaked um, and it was leaked on Reddit and Disney now wants uh, to identify and find out who is responsible. Uh, so they just... Yeah, by way of context, the film movie was released in mid-February, but a couple of weeks before that, somebody in the Reddit community shared a Google Doc transcript of the dialogue in Portuguese. 
Uh, it was posted in the group called Marvel Studios Spoilers um, under the handle MSS Mods, apparently. I think Ant-Man wins. What do you think? Do you think Ant-Man wins or do you think the Wasp kills Ant-Man? I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I really suspect that Ant-Man, I think Ant-Man wins. Ant-Man and the Wasp. I, I hope Ant-Man wins anyway. Um have you seen it? No, but I'm just, I'm wild speculation that Ant-Man's going to make it. Okay, got it, got it. <laughs> now, the bigger point is that I guess confidentiality really is a big deal here for media producers. You know, we tend to think of confidentiality more in the context of, you know, like, I don't know, legal documents, financial, stuff like that, right? But uh, but for media localizers, this is a big deal too. Um, you know, those are, yeah, kind of transcripts are trade secrets, so... And now they're asking Reddit to do what? Like, literally give the name? Do they know the name or? I don't know. I mean, they're asking for as much information as, as Reddit has. So that could be names, contact information, IP addresses. Um, but obviously that would basically override Reddit's kind of own policies about member privacy. So a little bit of a tricky one there um, as to as to what will happen. We need to follow up on this. I, 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 I'm really curious. I'm really curious if they're really gonna have to release it. Yeah. All right, Ant Man. Good luck with the Vasp. We're gonna move on. The wasp. And uh, yeah, and Quantum Mania. Maybe Quantum Mania means he's he, Ant Man's getting even smaller. You know, in the quantum realm. Maybe we should watch the film, and and then we wouldn't need to speculate about who wins and uh, how how small Ant-Man is. I'll check it out. My kids will like to watch Ant-Man and the Wasp. Yeah. Cool. All right. See you soon. Bye.